Okay, so on the show today, I've got uh, the lovely Rachel Picken, who's uh, someone I, I'm very good friends with, but also uh, I respect massively. I've, I've had the pleasure of working with Rachel on a couple of projects, and yeah, she's always over delivers on what I'm expecting. So I thought that not only is she lovely, but she's someone who I admire because she, I really, it's the fact that she's uh, talented, but she's actually managed to make a success of her own business on her own which is a real challenge so I wanted to get Rachel on to share her insight as to what that was like and I think she could offer a lot of advice to the people out there who are looking to kind of make a serious success of freelancing and I think it'd be great to have you on so thank you for coming on Rachel. Oh thanks Thad I feel all warm and fuzzy inside now. Oh good. It's also quite hard I think when you work on your own um, because you forget that you're doing a good job. There's no one to tell you you're doing a good job. You don't have a manager to tell you you're doing a good job. So it's nice to hear it from peers because it's quite on the up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember when I first met you, I was impressed because I was it was a networking event and you were there early, just on it, like just always on the phone and just working. And I thought, crikey, if she's here for the networking, that's someone to watch because you were well ahead of me and just really focused and it's that little, it's little things like that, which you go, that's someone who's driven, who's probably doing quite well. And then when I met you, I was like, do you know what, actually, she's really nice as well, which is a re- really refreshing change. And then to work with you on the first light stuff uh, was a breeze, you know? So like I said, it's one of those things that you don't, I don't often come across people who are nice and super talented and successful. There's often, you know, it's, it's easy to be nice and maybe struggling in other areas. So I think that immediately impressed me. But when I got to know kind of your journey and how you got to founding your little agency, it was kind of, I, you know, my sort of respect and admiration for you grew. And uh, I think it's one of those ones I've certainly talked to you about, like when I'm coaching people, I do mention you because I think you're someone that they could really learn from and look up to. And like I said, that was the big incentive for sort of uh, getting you on here was uh, just to help you share your story and and kind of share your wisdom. Ha, huh, Thanks. If you could, I guess your backstory, you know, how you got started, um, what you're doing today, uh, that's always a good place to start. Yeah. So my backstory, I grew up in Cornwall, which is a lovely place to grow up in terms of your childhood, although opportunities are quite limited. So opportunities for university at the time were quite limited. I went to university in Bournemouth, which was amazing. I did a degree in communication. I'd say uni was an interesting experience because I was diagnosed for the first time with depression um, around the time that I went to university. I basically burnt myself out doing my A-levels, but went to Bournemouth, which was great because it's by the sea. And then when I graduated, I returned back home to Cornwall. Had some things happening in my personal life at the time. My best friend had passed away. Um, I just needed to be home and grounded. I got really inspired by journalism when I was at university and I was doing my work experience. I did work experience at some really amazing places like Penguin Books Publicity Department, a really small music magazine in Plymouth. But the thing that I loved the most was reporting at the local newspaper. So that's where I started my career was in local journalism. And the course that you do to do that really sets you up. So you learn about media law, you learn about shorthand, you learn about how to write a story. And I found writing really simple and um, well, not simple, but it just came really easy to me. So storytelling came quite easy to me. So I progressed quite quickly at the local newspaper, which is called The West Britain. I've still got a really good relationship with them. I've gone on to um, have my own kind of parenting column in the past. And I sometimes write pieces for them under my own byline still. So that's brilliant. And around, I only worked in that job for about two or three years before I was offered a job in PR. So I was offered a job at a tiny BTK agency in Lostwithiel. So if you're not familiar with Cornwall, Lostwithiel is um, this tiny town, a little bit near the Eden Project, but it's really creative, very quirky. So I worked at this tiny boutique agency and I worked with some quite brilliant brands. One of the brands I worked with was Sharps Brewery when they were launching beers in collaboration with Rick Stein. So he named beers after his Jack Russell dog called Chalky. That was really fun. Um, And then I also started working with the charity sector, doing PR for the charity sector at that agency. So that agency was called Skyfield and my boss was called Rupert and Rupert and I are still in touch. And I only stayed there for about a year before I started to look at freelance opportunities. 
And at the time, I'd also met a guy who then became my husband. And he ran an agency in Truro, an integrated marketing agency called MPAD. So I went and did some freelance work with his agency. Got on really well there, obviously, because I knew the boss quite well. But I really started working closely with Mark, my husband, and started to build up the PR um, department. To cut a long story short, I eventually became managing director. So I rose up uh, from PR manager to director to managing director. Um, And the first year that I was managing director of, of that agency, we had about 10 people working with us, which is small in terms of what you know national agency experience but being based in Cornwall that's quite a sizable agency and we worked we did a lot of work with sustainability sector a lot of work with the charity sector and so I did that for from about two about 10 years eight years from 2008 until 2016 and so this is where my story gets a little bit challenged and a little bit tricky because the reality of running a business with your husband and having two children my girls are eight and six now is it's really really hard work and it's really stressful and you bring work home with you all the time and to cut a long story short our marriage failed and it's really hard I think to sort of hold your hands up and say I failed at this I'm really good at everything, or not really good at everything. I try to strive to be, to do my best and put an effort in. And this is an area where I failed him, he failed me, arguably. We've got a really good relationship now with our um, parenting for our children. But that was really tricky because it meant that I had to untangle myself from a business. So where I've got, had an amazing team who respected my leadership, I was delivering it made sense for me to leave because I had other opportunities for work. I've been offered some opportunities to teach PR on a national scale. So it made sense for me to leave because I had opportunities to work towards. But at the same time, I it came with a lot of other things having to move house. So at the end of 2015 and the beginning of 2016, I found myself in a situation where everything had to start from scratch. So finding a new place to live, finding a new job, which is quite hard in Cornwall, and um, kind of, yeah, pressing reset on my life, really, apart from the fact that I had my amazing girls and I had my friends and family. And it was a bit of an opportunity to sort of sit there and think, what am I going to do? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I found myself at the beginning of 2016 staring into an abyss of not knowing how I'm going to earn money or what I'm going to do. I was still doing a bit of freelancing with MPAD in my previous business because I had contracts that I'd won and I wanted to fulfill and maintain a client relationship but at the same time I wasn't necessarily going into the office on a daily basis I was working quite remotely working as an as a, as a consultant and it it became clear to kind of both my ex-husband and I that it made sense for us to kind of separate that out and just basically be able to focus on a co-parenting relationship which we have and we I feel we have a really positive co-parenting relationship now and so it just definitely made sense for me to be able to kind of step away from that business completely but with that it kind of yeah it feels like the rug's been pulled out from under your feet because that mostly when you go through a majorly stressful life event you have one or two things in place so if you your marriage breaks up you might be able to disappear into your work I wasn't able to do that so Mm. I had to start again yeah that's I think it's an it's a a huge obstacle to overcome I think it's um you've come out the other side, which is really impressive. But just as you say, it's kind of losing your job or having to give up a job you're you're enjoying and you're successful at is really, really tough. And I think mm. and then you throw in the complication of it's, you know, your ex-husband, you're getting divorced and you've got the kids and kind of to juggle all of that. And then you still have to find the resolve to go, well, I can't wallow in this. I've got to actually get mm-hmm. myself together again and get work and find a place. It's just that that's why I was so sort of, uh, you know, impressed by your resilience. Cause when you meet you, you'd never, you know, you're, you, you never know and know, you, you know, you're very, you're very positive and upbeat and happy and always optimistic. And I think it's that thing of, I'm always very keen to stress the significance of tenacity and patience and freelancing is, as you say, it's a real challenge because often you're isolated and the with the amount of people I speak to, this fear of 
not knowing where the next job is coming from yet yeah. not having not allowing that to affect your performance is a real is a real problem it's like you're on an uphill treadmill and behind you there's just a load load of crocodiles waiting to eat you it's like you're just like i can't and i can't stop i can't rest i've got to keep going but then you throw in all these other things and so i was massively impressed you know because now you're so you set up on your own and you're running the agile pr is your agency isn't it yeah so how that started i so as i mentioned i'm one of the reasons why i left MPAD was I had an opportunity to do some teaching work so I became a chartered PR practitioner at the end of 2015 that's the highest qualification you can get with our professional body which is the Chartered Institute of PR Mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about them and the work that I do and and my chartership so having achieved that I was invited to go and do some teaching with a company called MOL in Manchester so teaching the CIPR diploma and advanced certificate I was able to do that from Cornwall because it was mostly kind of webinars and um, teaching online and then occasionally traveling to Manchester to deliver face-to-face workshops. So I had to set up a business account to do that. Um, they wouldn't accept a personal account to, to pay me. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to set up something called Rachel Picking Communications and just deal with that. So I started using that business account. And around the time I was sort of like scaling back my work with MPAD, I actually went to go and see a recruitment consultant called Liz Gad, who's based in Portishead. I met her for a coffee. I remember meeting her for a coffee in one of these lovely coffee shops and just having a bit of a heart to heart, really, and just feeling like, Liz, I'm at rock. I just don't know where to go from here. I wouldn't say I was at rock bottom, but I just was sort of feeling really in a place where I wasn't sure which way to go. Um, and she was just quite clear and she said, I just think you should set up on your own. The reality is that I'm not really in a position to work full time, partly because of my girls. Full time jobs in my at my level in Cornwall don't really exist. And there's probably plenty of jobs in Bristol, but I'm not in a position to move to Bristol because I have a positive co-parenting shared custody arrangement with with my ex-husband. So I'm kind of I am where I am. And so it's a case of trying to find a way to work that works for me and my family and my situation. I mean, the other aspect is that I've already mentioned is um, protecting my mental health is really important to me. So I absolutely came out of that situation in 2016 with moderate, mild to moderate depression. And actually around the time you and I started working on um, that project together, that was when I felt like I was really in the thick of it, where my brain was really treacly. I just felt like I couldn't concentrate and that was really hard. But in terms of yeah, setting up Agile PR, the, 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 the name for the business just came to me when I was driving back from meeting this lady, Liz, in Portishead. I was stuck in traffic on the M5. I was just thinking about what I could do. And one of my areas of national expertise is I use Agile project management and I apply it to, to PR. So um And I like the name Agile. It means that I'm flexible. I try and pivot. I don't try and, I guess, conform to systems and processes. Agile is about collaboration with people. It's about working in teams. It's about human, it's people to people contact, people over processes. It's about responding to change over following a plan. So in my life, my plan was I get, go to school, go to college, go to university, get a good job, find a nice man, have children that's my life. And actually, I realized that reality was that's not following a plan is not always going to work. So Agile PR was the name of the business. I actually was able to take advantage of some um, business startup programs that they run in Cornwall. One in particular is called Breakthrough, and it's run by two organizations called Unlocking Potential and Oxford Innovation. And you could go on a two-day business course. And having already run a business and having been quite comfortable with running finances and kind of pitching and winning work for 10 years at MPAD, I was a little bit like, why on earth would I need to go on this course? But I'm so glad I did. I ended up being paired up with a coach called Chris Hines. Chris set up a charity, a campaigning charity called Surfers Against Sewage. And he left that charity after 10 years, having experienced burnout. And he now runs a really successful national and international um, consultancy, which is just him. And his consultancy is called A Grain of Sand. And we just really hit it off. And it was really empowering to be with him because I was talking to him about my experience and everything. 
my professional experience and everything that had been happening. And I had my business plan. I was looking at things like day rates. And this is really interesting from a freelance perspective. And his first piece of advice was, Rachel, why are your day rates so low? This is crazy. You're top of your game. Do you think so-and-so down the road, and he named one of our competitors, is going to be charging that day rate? You just need to be really confident with it. And we created a thing we call the 100-day uh, business model for consultancy. One of his friends had told him that if you can can win and deliver 100 days of consultancy within a year, you're doing really well. And that is what's manageable. So how that works out, it's um, two to three days a week. So about two days of paid work a week. And that's a perfect model for me because I realistically only want to work three and a half days a week. I've got kids stuff to do. I've got to go to nativity plays and parents evenings and remember to drop in football kit when football kit's been forgotten and it it just enables me to be able to look after myself look after my family charge a reasonable rate earn a reasonable amount of money and keep it all manageable so when I started Agile PR I literally had a pipeline of okay I need to I need to win about 10 days of work a month was my benchmark yeah and I started off doing little goals so my first month as agile PR I said can I bill out a thousand pounds and the other tip that Liz Gad gave me the lady from Porter's Head one of my things was how do I even start how do I even start and she said you need to have a prospect list you need to create a list of 30 to 50 contacts that you want to approach to ask people that you might want to approach to work with so I remember doing this in my bedroom and I remember feeling like it was a monumental effort to get up, get out of bed, get dressed. Sometimes sometimes I would put my have my pajama bottoms on and a worky top yeah. so that it looked like I was ready for work. Like sometimes I'd go for a walk around the block and come back and I would basically draw I drew up this prospect list and every day I'd contact say three to five people on my list to say, Hi, how are you? This is what I'm doing now. Is there anything we could work on together? Were and I can say with all you knew or you were hoping to get to know? Um, it was people I knew. It was probably people of people I knew. It was organisations that I was aware of. It might have been people that I was speaking to a long time ago through another kind of situation. So some of it was contacts that I had through the CIPR nationally. And sometimes it was just a case of saying, just to let you know, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Other things are more direct. So I, I directly contacted the Charter Institute of PR to say, I'm just looking at your training opportunities. Would you like me to develop an agile project management course for PRs? Basically, I got, so I approached the head of professional development who I've got a relationship with, and he put me in touch with the head of training. Um, and that lady, Yanka, literally bit my, head, my hand off. She responded so quickly because she realised I could offer something entirely different. And that was one of my first pieces of work was I was paid a development fee to develop this course, which now has dates booked. I have about five dates booked a year with the CIPR. I've got five dates booked next year. I'm going to Glasgow next year. This year I was in Newcastle. Mostly it's in London. But I also have delivered versions of the Agile project management work um, with the organisations in-house. So I'm about to go and do some work with the English National Ballet this month using Agile project management. But this is so, this is quite interesting. So, just because I'm curious to know, because I think outreaching to people is particularly difficult. Yeah. People really struggle with that. You feel like you're pestering people. But yeah. I'm interested to know that. Also, I'm curious to know what that hundred day thing you were talking about, and like raising yeah. rates, the hundred day thing, and then outreach. These are things I'd love to talk about. So, the first of all, rates. So, Chris was saying you just need to put your rates up. Was he? Was it? Did he have yeah. a formula? What was his kind of thinking behind that? I'm really happy to be open about my rates. I don't think it's probably really helpful to people that follow your podcast and your community. So there's, I mean, there's different, in my industry, in PR industry, there's different aspects of day rates. And if you work for an agency, that can be quite low because they've got overheads to cover. I was quite clear that I wanted to do more work direct to client. And I think sometimes people expect you as an independent consultant to be a, be a, to be a lot cheaper. Yeah. So in, in Cornwall, for example, day rates for independent PR consultants can start at 300 a day. At the moment, I'm set at around 500. Sometimes I'm paid more for the training, so around 650, between 650 and 800 for delivering a day of training. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes I can then they will pay expenses or I will need to charge expenses and so how that works out is essentially I'm able to the equivalent of a sort of a 40 to 50k salary yeah. doing loads of consultancy a month which is enough for me and there is no job in Cornwall that would be able to offer me that flexibility so yes there is this risk that you don't know like I don't know what works coming in from January there's a big there's a big gaping hole in my sales pipeline for January but I'm trying not to panic about it too much because I'm thinking actually I can create a bit of brain space to do my own work in January yeah I used to really panic a friend of mine at the time is a really successful national uh, crisis comms trainer and he's like you just need to chill out and not panic about it because it will come good and he is also based in Cornwall and works nationally and internationally doing what he does which is issues management and crisis comms so so the yeah so day rates I it one way of looking at it is deciding how much money you want to earn deciding how many days you have available to you to to actually service client work and divide how much you want to earn by the number of days you're prepared to work and that if it were in in, or just work around this hundred day concept so yeah so at 500 pound a day I could look at turning over 50,000 pounds yeah 50,000 pounds a year yeah which is a person on their own it's 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 enough for me to be able to run a household and take my kids on holiday so Mm -hmm. For me, it's a bit less about earning oodles of money and more about my quality of life on a day-to-day basis. And when you were quoting so, prices to clients, how was that? Did you keep putting it up or were you just quite bold and said, these are my rates? Did you have much pushback or anything? Um, I tend to – it depends on the client. So I, I'm fairly upfront and I'm also not really very apologetic about it. I'm just like, this is what it is. If I feel like a client's going to struggle with it, I might – so at the moment I'm working with a long-standing client and I need to kind of tag on about six weeks of work and I've said I'd do that at 350 a day partly as well because it's kind of the level of the work that I'm doing is sort of more account management level rather than account director or strategy work and it's just actually quite a nice little bit of work in the pipeline so I make a judgment based on what my availability is mm-hmm. and I think outside of Cornwall and sorry to keep referring to Cornwall because it feels like it's two different things. But one of my new clients was like, actually, I think you're really reasonably priced for what you do. So it's it's about being it's that confidence, isn't it? And I wasn't confident and I need people. To, I need people like you and Chris Hines to tell me, Rachel, you're worth more than that. And I think that's something that people can do in the freelance community is support each other to feel confident in asking for a decent rate. I mean, I saw um, a discussion on a freelance PRs group recently where someone entering the job market was offered £60 a day. And at that rate, you're kind of working below minimum, minimum wage. That's it's just awful. not ethical. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's appalling. But yeah, but as you say, it's kind yeah. of if you don't know and, and if you're slightly – there is pricing so strange. And I think there is mm. a confidence to kind of – it's it is the whole reassuringly expensive thing. I think if you, it's a balance. I think I like I've I'd always said to people with a new client, you should try slightly higher rates every time, because you never know what it's and it's to do with what the market will pay. And it's kind of you just have to bite mm-hmm. the bullet and go, well, that's my rate, and then hold your ground because it is. They might say no, and that that's fine. But like if when you start to backpedal and start to make compromises, then they know they've got you. And I, yeah, I think I just- it's probably yes, yeah, it's, it's funny. And it's not really the start of a, if they're not valuing you at the outset, it's not conducive for a strong project, I don't think. Um, a long time ago at MPAD, this is sort of before my time, but I remember my, my, my ex talking to me about it. They were off, uh, they worked for one of the old Objective One programs. They were like a supplier for marketing services. And I think they were able to supply things like marketing plans to small um kind of agricultural businesses that were diversifying into tourism, for example. But because the client wasn't paying cash for these marketing, it would be like a marketing audit or a marketing plan. They just didn't value them because it was free to them. Whereas if you're paying, and so it's the other thing as well, sometimes if you're paying a consultant, do you value their experience more? I don't know. Sometimes my consultancy is also about holding a mirror up to an organization and a lot of the information they already know, it's already in there inside. It's just 
having someone with the authority to say this this is this is what I'm finding. And when you were reaching out to people, that was the other thing. Of, so you got your prospect list, and and I guess there's a, there must be a thing of would you split your your agency and your consultancy worker, or do they kind of overlap? Or sorry, say that again. So the, the, when you do your consultancy work and you do like uh, jobs, sort of more where you were sort of trained up in an MPAD, that kind of account, not account management, but sort of management role. Is it? Do you just quote different rates for different services, or because I'm, I'm just wondering because I think it's it's something that, uh, like you know, brand consultancy from my point of view, or consultancy and what you yeah. do normally, but but that's yeah. okay. It was really just, um, I guess it's the, is it the what they approach you as? How do you split out your marketing to kind of sell what you offer from, or is it mainly like, I do consultancy, but I can do other things, or do you split them out? I, because it's just me. I can, and, and also this whole being agile and pivoting aspect of my work tend to, and I also don't really get inbound inquiries. It tends to be referral based, so word of mouth or me approaching them. So I don't necessarily work. It just, I don't feel, sometimes I don't feel like inbound inquiries always work for me in the sense yeah. that if someone's just looking for a job in PR, um, I'm possibly not the person for them because I don't do an awful lot of media relations anymore, which is ringing journalists and placing coverage. I tend to do more strategic work, planning work, evaluation, training, that kind of thing. So my services aren't always a direct fit and quite sometimes about me suggesting them. So, so, so do you, when you say referrals, is, is that, do you get that organically or, or do you just ask at the end of a job? Do you know of anyone else? Who, or how does that, because again, referrals is always a, an interesting topic for people. Yeah, it's totally organic. It's totally about who I meet. So I've been doing a lot of work with one university and I met someone within that university who works with a knowledge exchange and we just really hit it off on a personal and professional level. And now she's moved to another university and we're in conversation. We are starting a new project with that university. And these are both top tier. Well, one of them is like top, is the top university. Um, so it's, that's that's about relationships and my work is about relationships and so but in terms of like that question about the different rates I generally I look at the, I look at the problem that they're trying to solve and I think about what would deliver that value for them and value for me so then mm-hmm. I have finished quite a big maternity cover contract so they're not going to be able to afford to do my top dollar rate because I'm doing jobbing communications some of it was, can you add this on LinkedIn and add this on Facebook, please? That's actually sometimes helpful to me to be able to go back to the floor. I quite enjoyed the project. It came to an end at the right time because I was getting drawn into kind of further into the organisation. I wanted to extract myself and come back in and be able to be a consultant again. So I've been able to renegotiate a small extension to my contract with them with entirely different objectives and with different rates because it will be about delivering an awareness raising campaign and delivering calls to action and reporting on a particular social issue. So yeah, I'm super flexible in that sense. And the reason, another reason why I took on that project was it was just looking, it was handy for me to be able to have a a benchmark kind of six to nine months of work in the pipeline. So sometimes you might want to have 50% of your pipeline. I've talked to you about pipeline in a minute. 50% 50% of your pipeline at, it might be at a lower rate, but you know it's regular. So for a six months to a year, you might have a regular income just to cover your bills. And then you can do more, higher value, shorter work on top is another yeah. way of done things. So I have a sales pipeline, which my friends who is the crisis comms PR consultant finds hilarious that I'm this organized but I literally have a spreadsheet and I used to do it in my old business. It's a thing that an, an old financial director taught me and I found it incredibly helpful then because I was able to plan what work was coming in, what's going to be billed and make sure we had enough money to pay stuff essentially. So mm-hmm. it's literally an Excel spreadsheet and I have, um, and I can probably do you a dummy one if you want to share it on your community, but that'd be amazing. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's just got the months of the year. So whether your your year works kind of calendar year or, or financial year, and then it's got um, just clients and I, I plot out what I'm going to bill each month. So I know 
already in 2019. I've got a set number of dates for my Agile project management course with the CIPR, so I can start to add them into my pipeline. I put mm-hmm. goals across the top, so income goals, so X thousand pounds I want to bill out per month. That used to be quite flat when I first started, and now I've started playing with it so that I can have I will bill less in August, for example, because I was away for two weeks in August this year when I went on holiday. I'll bill less in December because I'm taking another break in December. So you can, and I find if you set yourself a goal, if you're a goal-oriented person, which I am, if you set yourself a goal, you can smash it. Mm-hmm. So putting yourself in this mindset. And I think way back at the beginning when I was sat there with this panicky situation of like, I don't know how to earn money. I've only got myself and my sort of slightly broken, poorly brain it was just a motivation to be able to sit and say, I need to sort of make X number of approaches and get an idea of. And I think actually when I set that goal of I want to earn a thousand pounds in my first month, I actually did something like 1,650. So just creating that goal and that place thing to aim for was really helpful. And also because of the day rate, you can, you're kind of selling units. And you can yeah. think about if someone comes back to you and says, says, can you help me with this? You can work out how long you might spend to do it. Or there's other ways of, I'm sure you've, you, you know, you've had other conversations about how to value your work other than in time. At the moment, I'm doing it in time. I don't know what the other answer is, but yeah. No, that makes sense. I think I like the idea. I think it is useful having like a structure and a pipeline. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of, you're always you have a it's much more predictable income flow and you can kind of go right i need to start booking jobs for these months or i need to start making inquiries and with that like uh so you said about the 50 list it was just a case of phoning them up and just touching base and saying look this is what i'm up to do you know of any opportunities coming up or it's just as as easy as that yeah yeah i'm gonna see if i can find the file um it was mostly a case of i had to be quite i was quite tenacious with some there's an agency in Paul that's run by family friends and I was really keen to work with them and I love working with them still. They're just a really amazing team and they're one of the only sort of agencies I work with. Um, but I do sort of add value to their client work. So things like communication strategy training. And I went and met with her and I sort of said, look, I'm going to be in the area on such and such a day. Have you got time to meet for a coffee? Oh, I'm really busy. I'm not really ready for this yet okay, I get that, but I really would like to find an opportunity to do something tangible for you. So I managed to nail her to meet her for a coffee and then put a proposal to her that, and it was absolutely around delivering what value for her, what was going to be valuable for her. And for her, it was about training. So I was able to say, I'm going to come in, I can come in and it's going to be cheaper for you to do it with me personally coming into your agency than sending all of your team off on individual training courses. Um, I can offer you this level of quality training um, I can talk to you about how, what's the current best practice for evaluating PR, which is a bit of a mystery to agencies still. So I, it was absolutely about, even though it's a tricky one, understanding what problem they need to have, to have solved and where you're going to deliver value and then factor that in and then put a, put a simple, I try not to make proposals too lengthy. Sometimes it's an email or it's yeah. like three or four or five slides and the other thing that I did recently is a friend of mine who worked with me at the old agency, we just collaborated to win a pitch with a muse- a community museum in Devon. And this was, I'm not taking credit for this, this was Matt, my colleague, said literally ring her up and ask her some questions. So even at, during the tender process, we were able to call the person who was letting the tender and just ask some questions. And that cemented the relationship from the outset. And even when we were in the pitch, I came out of it thinking, if we don't win this work, I don't know what we could have done that would have done, made it any better. That It would just be not a right cultural fit if we don't win because I feel like we're able to nail all of their criteria. And by the time we've driven home, we've won the job. So I think that establishing relationships, and that's really scary. It's really scary to do it. I guess I had the added motivation of... I need to keep a roof over my head of my, and that of my girls and food in the fridge and the heating on. So I don't know if it's just the fear that made me do it. And I think also I'd had such a crazy time of it. I had no shame anymore. And I think I, I would have expected to feel more kind of shame that I'd publicly failed. Like 
our marriage had failed and therefore our business fails. And I just didn't care. I just was like, actually, the most important thing in my life is me, myself and my girls and the people around me. It doesn't matter what people think about me in the business community per se. We managed our reputation really well. I get a lot of feedback from the business community here in Cornwall about how well we managed everything. And and I've also been really honest. I've written on LinkedIn about um, articles about making sure we look after our mental health. And I've had a lot of kind of positive feedback about that. So I guess it's about... How do you look after your mental health? I mean, because I, I spoke to my friend Ben about, about that same sort of thing. He's doing a documentary about depression. Yeah. And uh, I, meant, I noticed you mentioned earlier when you were at university, you kind of burnt out initially yeah. from doing the A-levels. And you were saying, obviously, it's important when you went through this crisis, you, you were probably thinking, yeah, this is, I'm vulnerable to this. This is going to come back to me. So how do you manage that? What sort of, you know, how, what's worked in your experience? Or how, can you sense when it's coming? Or are there things you do to get out of that? What would you say? Yeah. So... I things like change of season like I'm probably feeling a bit susceptible this at the moment because of the weather being really dark and miserable so it's hard to get out and get fresh air exercise is really important to me I do two different kinds of exercise I do at the moment I've started doing strength training that's been really empowering because it's not about what you weigh it's about kind of different kinds of goals I also am part of a community called Think Fit which is run by a friend of mine um and that's been incredibly positive it's a she's probably got about 100 to 150 nearly all women who get together for kind of group PT sessions she's got a program called the body project where you can go and work out three or four times a week at a really reasonable fee just group PT sessions so exercise sometimes it's running as well sometimes it's like getting out or walking just walking in nature um Things as well, like being lucky to be in Cornwall. My mum is a massive advocate for the Blue Gym, which is going surfing. So first weekend of October half term, me and my girls and my mum all went surfing, which is quite a cool thing to do. Sleep, I can, I really, really value sleep. Sometimes I can overdo it. If I've not got my girls for the weekend and they're with their dad, the lack of structure can sort of mess with my body clock a little bit and I can end up being really lazy and struggling to get out of bed um mm-hmm. I go to bed super early just because I want to go and shut down I've realized that I need solitude a lot more and in my previous job I didn't get much because there are people in and out of my office all the time constantly phones ringing we're always on especially in the PR industry we're always on and I need in order for my brain so I'm selling my brain as consultants we're all selling our brain I need to be able to let my brain rest as much as I'm kind of if I'm training my muscles in the gym and I need rest days, I need time to rest my brain. So sleep, I now know that I don't think I could manage at this stage in my life when the kids are still small and at primary school, I don't think a full-time job is available to me and won't fit into my life. Ironically, last year, last year, yes, Um, I felt the fear and I applied for two jobs and I didn't get them and I was distraught. I was like, no one wants me. This is horrendous. My sales pipeline was looking really a little bit slow and I was panicking. I was like, how am I going to pay the rent? So I applied for two jobs and didn't get them. And then ironically, one of the organisations that I'd applied for a job with, and this is a massive consumer brand, real success story here in Cornwall, the MD emailed me on LinkedIn earlier this year to say okay so that person we took on it's not worked out for various reasons so we've rejiggled this job would you like to apply for it and I was like this is crazy and I did say you do realize I went for this last year and I didn't get an interview and she's like I know but now I feel like this is ideal for you and I actually emailed her back and said she was really great because she said you might feel like her words were steering your uh rowing your own canoe I think she called it paddling your own canoe you might be really enjoying paddling your own canoe and I went back to her and I just was really honest and said look I'm not in a position to do a full-time job if you want full-time that's not what I can offer you I'm going well again now I am really interested in your organization but now isn't the right time so if I can keep a toe in the door that would be great but I don't think it's the right time for me or for you at the moment but that was an amazing 
that whole experience of applying for something, the rejection, and then realizing again that I needed to pick myself up again and go, right, I'm doing this now. This is my job. This is what I do. I am agile PR, and this works for me, and I'm going to make it work for me. But I love the fact that you are open enough to, because obviously the pressure of of thinking I need a full time job, I need to earn loads of money, and I've got because that would just by sensibly acknowledging like while well, the girls at the age they are i cannot work a full-time job mm-hmm. so i'm not gonna invite that pressure of under delivering in both being a parent and working yeah. a full-time job so you go well actually i'm gonna work backwards and i'm gonna strip out the time i need for myself and for my family mm-hmm. and then i'm gonna go what's left and what do i need to be earning to be comfortable and i'm gonna divvy it up in a way that's kind of okay i need to be earning x amount Mm-hmm. regularly to sustain my lifestyle which means I've then got to be picking up this kind of jobs so I'm going to be doing outreach and I'm going to be doing like I said there is a kind of uh, whether it's formal or informal but structure to how you're getting clients it's whether it's meetings or talking to people or doing things or being proactive it's kind of uh, I think like I said it's it's that organization that comes through really strongly and it's something that I know that a lot of people kind of they certainly struggle with because they're kind of scared of the no or they mm. think it will take care of themselves but actually that adds to the fear because it's so unpredictable but if you can mm. as you say when it's quiet you can go well look if I make 10 phone calls this week I know that that is going to kick start something which might have an effect a couple of weeks after that but mm. it's almost as a peace of mind in the discipline of going no no I'm going to sit down I've worked out who I want to call I'm going to call them and as you say it's almost that thing of this is what I'm up to you know do you know of anyone who needs what I offer or have you got anything coming up that I could work on? I've got a gap in a few weeks time. I'd love to work with you on something and something as easy and and as kind of friendly as that. It's often the way people will say, actually, it's funny you called, we have something or I know someone and it's just that thing. But I do like the fact that you're sensible enough to acknowledge there's only so much I can take on. So I'm not going to get sucked into this trap of trying to get more and then feeling terrible about failing or not delivering adequately. And that's the important thing about the day rates and the the hundred day yeah. consultancy model because you cannot deliver, you can't book yourself out five days a week, three you know fifty two weeks of the year because you need to be able to have holidays. So the the way I've structured this means I'm, I'm I can take holiday and it's not a massive deal because I've in theory I would have built a bit more cash into the business on other days to cover that sort of slightly lower billing month when I go on holiday or. You can have an arrangement that client where you kind of build, make up the hours. But it's a great model. I think I was in a mastermind with my business coach yesterday and he showed his diary for next year and he was just blocking out so much time. Mm. And he was like, well, they've got the school holidays. They're all out. I've got this. I've got to go to New York. I've got to go. So he mm. would block it. And he, by the time he was left over, he thought, my God, you're working, what, two and a half days a week, mm-hmm. three days a week maximum. He's like, yeah, this is why I want it. And the irony is, I think if I'd added up the, he was probably on that a hundred days of working because he, but he did it the other way. He was like, if I have all this time off, so like he was saying, I only want to work three days a week, definitely. So I want Mondays and Fridays off. I want weekends off. I want holidays off. I want any, so he just did it like that. Mm. And then like you're saying, it's kind of like, so if I want to hit, you know, a hundred K a year and I've got a hundred days, I need to be billing my hours. So I'm matching that kind of thing. And that's how he was doing it. And it was a really interesting exercise to show it really focuses the mind, you know, instead of letting things drag and then you're still managing to maintain a happy life. You're seeing people that matter. And then if you want to take up any extra time to do other projects, you can do. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, that's a really nice way of looking at that. It's like you say, for, if nothing else, trying to work out what your time is worth. And if you were to pitch for only working a hundred days, what would you have to be charging? And I go, well, if I start there, I know at least I'm going to be doing something. And that will often breed confidence to go, well, I could probably push a little bit more of this because people are paying mm-hmm. it. And the other thing is that like leads come back. So someone, I I did the mentoring as you did with um, Unlocking Potential. And sometimes people come back. I got a lead through that just from someone saying, you helped my graduate. So are you, are you available to do any work on X? And at the time, I didn't have capacity because I could look at my 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 sales pipeline and say, "I'm really sorry, I'm totally maxed out for the next three months." And then she came back and asked me to propose for something else. So sometimes the honesty of 
it's easy to say yes to things because especially I mean especially in the early days I did say yes to things that may or may not have been right but I'm glad I did it and I don't really have any regrets on anything um so there's yeah there's there's a real legitimacy to saying no for a really reasonable like I don't have capacity or it's not quite the right fit for me that's okay it's okay to say no the other thing I was going to mention is this whole concept which is a little bit tree huggy but me and my friends really believe in it is this asking in the universe so oh yeah I've heard this this is um it's weird I'm like you I was kind of a little bit yeah I'm not quite sure what I but more and more people are definitely open to it so yeah tell me more what's the asking the universe it's more about kind of it open it's it's more about you can physically go I want to um you can apply for different things so for work it would be I want to find five new clients for the first quarter next year and I want them to be worth x y or z and what tends to happen is it's not that the universe delivers per se but your mind is open to those opportunities so they, when they arise and you can then look at them um mm-hmm. Sort of can apply it to dating. A friend of mine was in a really struggling in a relationship um, and said, she just remembers driving home from late at night in wind and rain and her situation at home was really difficult and she asked the universe to change her situation. Can you make this better for me? And two months down the line, she's in a new relationship that's changed her world in the most positive ways. And yeah. So there's just, you can apply it to different things, but from a work perspective, I think it's about opening your mind up to the opportunities that are around you. Um, yes, no, I, think that's, I think it's really valid. It's more like a mindset shift, isn't it? It's kind of, you open yourself up to maybe thinking a little bit bigger and your actions will kind of map to that if it matters to you. It's You, mm-hmm. you can either go the very analytical way and go, well, if I want five clients, I work mm-hmm. backwards. I have to make a hundred calls a day to get 10 meetings to get what, and you do it that way, which is kind of very sales led statistics. Mm-hmm. But I think just that putting the thought in your mind of, uh, you know, it's like, if I was saying with the education thing, it's like, I want to grow it and I want to start a podcast. It's kind of that seed would have been sown six months ago, but mm-hmm. it's like now actually it's happening and I've done it. And whether I've known it because the universe gave it to me, or I just, it put the thought in my head of all oh, that would be quite good. So how am I going to do this? You kind of, it just changes. So I think there is real, I think the things like the secret and all that were ruined by people who are a bit sleazy and sort of uh, life coaches <laughs> kind of teaching you that. And there's yeah. a lot of people that sort of damaged the reputation of that industry. However, I do kind of agree with you that it's kind of more about, well, look, if we're going to think bigger, it's worth aiming. You know, it's the classic thing, shoot for the stars, hit the moon. It's the thing of let's think a lot bigger. And then we'll be thrilled with the immediate success and it kind of takes the shackles off. It's good, definitely. And I think, yeah, I'm looking at this. I do need to bring in some work for next year, but I'm sort of also want to create a bit of space so I can think about what I want for next year. What do I want to achieve? So I've actually, I've booked into a two-hour workshop in Bristol at the end of the month with another freelance PR who... Um, to do she's setting up some workshops to help planning for 2019 and it couldn't have come at a better time because I'm going to be up in Bristol for I, I I'm chair of the Chartered Institute of PR in the southwest so we've got an enormous regional award ceremony so and I've, I can go up the night before and have like a, almost like a corporate break and my own Christmas party as it were um yeah and have a little bit a little bit of time to get inspired my contact at the english national ballet they've got a production in bristol the night before that award ceremony so we can go out and see the ballet which is really i never get a chance to do that so that's a brilliant thing to do um just with your yeah finding opportunities within your network to create space and create inspiration i suppose yeah no that, that that's absolutely makes sense i think i th- i think you to be honest you've shared a hell of a lot of of wisdom that might you might go well this is just things but they're really insightful i've really enjoyed it it's kind of my, my poor tired brain <laughs> uh, you're what my poor tired brain yes but i know but the honesty of kind of it's it's really tough it's lonely everything from what you said at the beginning about when you don't have a boss to tell you you're doing well that's hard trying to get that perspective and then balancing being realistic but also ambitious is a challenge and then being honest enough with your body to know yeah i'm a bit tired or 
I'm going to be feeling a bit crap because this is what this time of year, it bums me out. So I need to probably be a bit more proactive. And as you say, whether it's doing exercise, but in a way that's fun. So it's social and fun. And I think it's one of those, you're a very good testament to kind of adopting simple principles in a way that makes them very accessible, but are very effective. And I think the whole thing of reaching out to your network, setting slightly larger targets, being organized, having a pipeline, being realistic, doing exercise, meeting friends. All of this is very kind of from someone who's lived it, but has analyzed it and who has learned, this is what I need to make it work. Mm. And I've kind of got it running quite nicely, but I'm always open to sort of evolving and changing. And like I said, there's the 100 day consultancy. I love that. I said, no, I think you've been extremely generous with sharing your insights. So thank you. It's no worries. I'm really happy to, yeah, I'm glad to share it. And it's it's what people yeah i'm really it's what people people need encourage well they just need to kind of reminding that they're doing an amazing job i think mm-hmm. um, and i think consultancy based working is, is there's a future in it it's especially for working parents yeah no, I think so. I think the consultancy, like you said, it does work because it's mainly you and it's, it's years of, it's a way of using your expertise in a way that's beneficial. So you're not quite, you know, you can actually charge a little bit more and it, people really value it. And that's kind of the whole thing of a consultant is you bring them in for a specific task. Yeah. You're not committed. You're not salarying them. They're not signing up with an agency. And that's the kind of the big thing. So I do think it's, um, it's something I certainly would probably want to look at more um, in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably another time I'll pop around and uh, pick your brains on the best way yeah. of uh, doing that but if people wanted to like follow what you're up to because i think um i mean you're a lovely person you're very kind and very patient with people so if they had wanted to reach out with you and ask any questions where's where yeah. can they find you probably my linkedin profile is the easiest one mm-hmm. i am not as active on twitter as i used to be because i just find it a little bit noisy so um yeah. so probably my linkedin is probably the best way Thank you very much, Rachel. Um, I'll upload the issue soon and I'll let you know. And if you guys want to follow Rachel, I think, like I said, she's available through LinkedIn. Um, and then if you search the Agile PR, that's her agency. And I think you're, you're in the education group, so people can always yeah. see you there as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for the best. Cool.